Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. You know, before CC comes, the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and he just, I knew, I must have known, I should have known it's going to be a low night because of verbiage, because I only had these two lines. But um, I want to prepare your hearts because, I mean, I think she would probably say she has a pretty direct word. Now, being cleric, I don't see that, but all you introverts, you might. But I love how God speaks to her beyond her nature because I know it's Him because she would never talk this way. And so I tell her over and over and over, you know, her assignment is to speak for Papa, and he's been looking for a voice for a long time, and so he's not a personality. He's the creator of the universe. He's not, your comfort is not on his mind. Zero on the creator's mind. This is an opportunity. You getting a life on earth is an opportunity. It's a privilege. You having breath in your lungs is a privilege. There's no guarantees. It's about choices. And he, he said this, I've made one slide tonight. And there he goes. I made one slide, and this is what it says. Obedience is, come on, we can do it. I believe in you. Come on. Come on, it's a really cool slide. No? Here, I'll just show it to you on my machine. Ready? Obedience is words in motion. That's what it is. It's words in motion. That's all it is. I probably didn't even share it with y'all. It's words in motion. So when you hear something, that's why the Bible says you can't be just a hearer because just hearing inflates. It makes you a gluttony. It inflates. It's the, the hearing was for the doing. The hearing was for the obedience. The hearing was to hear words and put in motion something that he said. And so when we value what he says, no matter how it comes, you know, we're so funny. Like we try to decide whether we like something or not first, whether we like the delivery, whether whether I mean, it would be like saying I'm not going to get my mail because I didn't like my postman today. And there's a million dollars in the post. You would not care what that postman looked like. Because there was something valuable out in the box. You would not think one second about the delivery. And I'm not saying that because I know it's hard for y'all to listen to CC, But I'm just saying it. I'm just saying it because you have got to set your mind on that God is delivering a valuable commodity to you tonight. And so if you get hung up on something, that's what he's after. It was intentional by him. So don't try to get comfort for it. Try to view it. Extract it, heal it, massage it, mince it up, whatever needs to happen. Right? And so I believe that when, when I wrote this line, when words of life 
promise and instruction are released, then a response is required. That's why, that's the promise of more life and words and more stuff coming. Right? When I hear it, it should change me. It should excite the part of me that's been transformed and renewed and make me see it more clearly. And it should arrest and offend the part of me that is not surrendered yet. And that's the word. That's the two sides of the scalpel. So if you're only going to live over here on goodie day, buffet day, you will expand in your complacency. If you allow the scalpel to come in and you don't get offended. See, it's the same thing. Papa's delivering you a million dollars tonight. And so it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what happened five minutes ago. This is a moment for you to hear words and act on it. And that's your obedience. That's your privilege to sit underneath somebody who will sit and hear from God and deliver it to you in such a beautiful fashion. So come on, Mendel. That's a good setup, Tisa. Thank you. Well, it's true. I was a little bit worried about this feeling like a harsh word, but it's not really. But I did feel like I needed to preface it with saying that this is a convicting word, not a condemning word. Okay. So, and I have a couple of things I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to say up front. These aren't my disclaimers. Okay. These are the Holy Spirit's (laughs) disclaimers. Let's be clear about it. I'm often accused of having a lot of disclaimers, but this is the Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay, so this is not a condemning word. So if you are prone in any way, shape, or form to feeling condemnation, be forewarned. Tisa just said it. That's just an area where he's trying to highlight something for you. But this is a convicting word. I believe this is a word that's meant to activate us, to get it stirred up, to get us to do what we sang about today, where we're willing to choose the seed that's sprouting, to protect it, to make choices in our everyday life for what's sprouting from the seed. Okay. We've got to, he's, I'm sure you can feel it. And I'm sure you've heard us say it up here a bunch lately that there is an, there's momentum. There's huge momentum in the atmosphere right now. There are things coming. There are things he's getting ready for us and to do, and he's, he's getting us ready for. And so he's, he's cleansing us of complacency is one way I would say of it. And he's, he's, there are places where we've just kind of been dormant, you know, where our, our choices, our will, our, our soul has been really dormant for, and I, I would say generations have been that way. And he is lighting a fire under all of these dormant places. And so that's what I feel like this is a word, um, that is, is meant for that purpose. Um, I also, um, wanted to say that we have to keep in mind that I don't come out of, I'm not really coming out of the religious system, um, more, I'm more so coming out of the world worldly system, right? So I don't think about, I'm going to talk about God's legal system 
And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me today when I was getting ready for church that some people might equate that with legalism. And so I wanted to be clear, if you're coming out of religion, that's absolutely not what I'm referring to. When I mention God's legal system or heaven's legal system, I'm referring to God's governmental operating system that he filled the earth with when he made the earth. It's just the operating system. Okay. Not legalism. It's all, this is all within relationship with him. Okay. That was a good one, right? The Holy Spirit knows. So, um, as Tisa mentioned, you know, we, there's been this thing that the Holy Spirit has been dropping on us and highlighting. And Tisa even found a word or a, and a message from about a year ago or, or so where we touched on it a year ago about the patterns and the tabernacle and the mercy seat and all of that. And then he just dropped this thing on us at the very beginning of the year when we were moving in here right off the fresh in the door, right, about what does it mean to be a temple for the king. And so there's just more and more that just keeps coming up that we keep coming across more and more. He is on this thing about what does it mean to be a temple and the fact that he created a pattern, a very specific pattern for his temple, for his tabernacle. And you, you know, those pla those books in the Bible that are hard to get through because it's all just instructions and measurements. Those were all patterns. So he's in the details. He cares about the pattern, obviously. And as I said, we've gotten, very, very complacent as Christians. We've become very complacent. And we are like, well, yeah, that's just that book that, you know, you can say you read the whole Bible, even if you skip that one, because that's just a bunch of measurements. I mean, that we, we overlook the fact that he had a specific way. And we're so on, we're all, we're so for um, grace and mercy that we, I think, have lost reverence for his way. Because there was this time, I think, in, in the legalist, of, legalist way where so many people were hurt and so many people thought God was mean and was, you know, full of wrath and angry that we, I think we swung the pendulum the other way. And, and we, were, we were so emphasizing the loving Father, the loving Jesus, that we have fallen by the, the, the pattern of the tabernacle and his way has sort of fallen by the wayside because we wanted everybody to know that they were loved. So I think we know everybody's loved. We know he's a good, good father. We know that he loves. But once you're in that relationship, don't you want to respond to what the person you're in love with, what they would want, like their way? It's, it's not a gift if you get them something, right, that's just for you when they don't even like that thing. I mean, you got to pay attention and we care about who we're in relationship with. So that's, we've got to, um, to shore that place up. And I feel like he's really um, drawing our attention to that. So um, I'm going to take you through, you know, my process because, you know, I, I like to share with you the, where I start at, which is usually kind of sad and a little ugly sometimes. <laughs> in my journey and just to be real with you and show you, you know, how I, how I progressed through that and, and what Papa did. And he's even the more I look at this word, the more I think, Oh my gosh, he demonstrates what a crazy, amazing father he is in so many ways. Um, so in this word, he tended to my needs. He met my emotional needs. He changed my, how I felt emotionally. It was all beautiful and wonderful. And then in the middle of it, he dropped in this convicting truth that didn't feel anything like correction. I mean, I was just on cloud nine, you know, like 
man, you're so good. You know, just loving it. This is such a loving word. And then I come back around and I'm like, oh, dang. You know, like, whoa, that is an intense point you just made there. And so I spent some more time on that. And that's when we get to the really convicting part because I had to write more about it. So, um, you know, we, somebody preached around here. I can't remember who, maybe we prayed it, we preached it, we sang about it. I don't know. It was said in this house (laughs) about how he flows to the low and we've got to get low. And there's different, I I don't honestly don't remember how it all started, but it's a common theme that we, you know, we have to get low, we have to get humble, but there's also a low place for us. And in my mind, I pictured it as going down into the valley. And that we've got to go sometimes down to the low places where we aren't the best at managing things. You know, those are our, the places where we're, our uh, maturity level is low. You could say that. And we've got some growing to do. So I had identified a low area for myself um, with Tisa's help um, in the last couple of weeks. And I was practicing, you know, practicing in the low place for me. And then after a while, all of a sudden I realized... I was in bad shape. I was not sleeping at night. I was tormented. My thoughts were not good. I mean, I was just all of a sudden, it seemed like all of a sudden, but of course it wasn't, you know, all of a sudden I realized I have lost it. I am in a bad, bad place. So that's where we start off tonight. Okay. Yeah. So I went to Papa and I said, Papa, I've gotten lost in the valley. I am lost in the low place. I know you wanted to shore this up and that you asked me to visit it and learn to trust. But Papa, the shadows have overtaken my ability to run. The shadows have overtaken my ability to trust. I've lost sight of your gaze. I've lost the reassurance of your touch. My grip has slipped from your powerful hand. I couldn't hold on like I should have. I couldn't overpower the voices in the shadows. They speak with such familiarity, with words that sound like truth, a truth I used to know or believe at least. Papa, I've gotten lost in the valley. Help me find you again. These shadows scare me. They taunt and haunt me when I try to sleep. Their lies torment me with accusations that all that I've come to cling to It's just a figment of my imagination, a delusion that cannot be trusted. They know right where to get me. They've been building this stronghold for what seems like centuries. Landmines of triggers are scattered in the valley. I get close and their cascading darkness comes flooding into the light. I didn't know shadows could hold on so tight. I didn't know they could hold me like this. I didn't know they could shackle me with their untruths like this. I need you, Papa. I need you. I can't find you. I can't feel you. I can't see beyond this darkness. It consumes, but all I want is you. Please lift me out of this shadow existence. Let me feel your touch once again. Let me feel your hold on me. Isn't it stronger than the shadows? Something's starting to happen to me. You know, I like to share this process with you for so you can relate and you can know it's okay to talk to him like this and see what evolves when you just start speaking truthfully about where you are. 
And as soon as I start writing, I saw myself saying, well, I know that's not true. I just wrote how I felt. And I'm like, well, I know that's not true. But that's how I feel, you know. It's an important part of the process. And so this part, I'm starting, this stuff starting to come up in me. Isn't it stronger than the shadows? Isn't your hold stronger than the shadows? Isn't your almighty godness stronger than this smoke and mirrors? You called me your daughter. You said I would be held by you forever. You said you would never leave me, that you would always lead me. You said you'd guard me, guard my life, my heart. You said you'd watch over what needed watching if I kept my gaze on you. So tell me, who failed, me or you? I got real, real at that moment. I almost deleted that because I felt it was a little bit irreverent. But he's okay with it. He was okay with me asking that question, and we've got to know that. Who failed, me or you? Now, if you look back through this, you can see where my low place is. You could find it in there, okay? (laughs) That it's all on me, and if I'm feeling bad, it's because I failed, and I wasn't able to hold on, and my own strength, this, and all this, right? So much to be learned from this process. And Papa said, daughter, my bright delight the one I love always by my side. Don't you love how he responds with just this gushing love to this, this crazy question I asked him. Who failed, me or you? Daughter. <laughs> the one I love always by my side. My daughter, full of sunshine and flowers. <laughs> Delighting always in the light. You are treasured beyond measure. My delight, my love, my cherished treasure, bought and paid for with a divine price. I tell you, there's no such thing as fraud in such a divine transaction. Oh, okay. There's no such thing as fraud in such a divine transaction. Bought and paid for. It's like you, you right there who's walling around in your valley, you were bought and paid for. There's no such thing as fraud in a divine transaction. There's no way to scam the legal system of heaven. Do you know this? You see all sorts of manipulation, scams, and fraudulent attempts to find loopholes in man-made systems, but do you know that none exist? in the legal system of heaven. There are no figments of imagination or con men in my legal system. No, the enemy himself knows that he has to play by my rules. He doesn't attempt to fool me. He only attempts to fool you. He attempts to fool you so that he can use you in my system. It's ironic, really, isn't it? It sounds like pure irony to you, doesn't it? For the devil to be called a rule follower? Oh, but he is when it comes to my legal system. You see, he has been in my presence and doesn't for a moment doubt my existence. He knows my sovereignty, my power, beyond the shadow of a doubt. 
Don't mistake his vengeful pursuits for disrespect of my sovereignty. I've never heard the enemy talked about this way. He says, but my point is this. You are bought with a price that says nothing and no one can take you from me. Remember, I was just saying, you know, who failed? You know, I can't find you. I'm by myself. I need you. All that. It's not possible. This is a solid, steadfast, unchanging truth. You are mine for all time. I have never lost my grip on you. I have never failed to keep watch over you. But you really know this to be true, don't you? You're really just expressing your need to me, expressing your need of me. And for that, I'm glad. Daughter, I can tell you are already seeing the truth behind the lies. It's not your grip you rely on, but mine. There's no shadows of doubt. There's no power in the shadows of doubt or the smoke and mirrors of lies. You know that light always casts out the darkness. So there must be something different at play today. Something different to come from this experience you're having. Ask me. So he said, every time you face a shadow that once held you, you have the chance to dismantle it. Yes, I ask you to visit the valley so that you can dismantle the strongholds that once held you. This is the renewing process. The goal was never to uproot you from the soil you were planted in. The goal was to reclaim it from unlawful inhabitants. I gave you this land, not them. I gave you the promises held within, not them. I planted you at this time in this season for a reason. It's not my goal to make you a refuge in somebody else's land. It's my goal to restore you, refresh you, to uphold you and grow you so that you rule over the land I gave you. Not just the high places, but the valleys as well. I have not given you the powers you hold so that you can forever avoid the struggles you once knew in the low. I have to interject here. Just to, I'm sure you guys are connecting it, but just, just in case, you, can you see when you look back at the beginning part of how I was feeling, how distorted my perspective was? Because I'd actually was saying, God, did you fail in what you said you wanted to do? Because I had the mindset, well, I'm, I feel like I'm in torment right now, so you must not be following through on your promise. Or I feel like I shouldn't have to be in this battle right now, so you must be doing something wrong, or I must have done something wrong. And my expectation was wrong. Can do you see how like our whole gospel philosophy gets distorted when we get into a place like that? God never said that there wouldn't be a battle. He didn't say, I want to, I'm going to take you away and you're going to have peace on every single day and you'll never have to raise a hand again. In fact, you won't have to do anything for yourself and you won't have to operate in strength. He never said any of that. But somehow it gets distorted in here and we start thinking, well, because I'm having a hard day or a gym day, like Moo called it the other day, which I thought was awesome. I'm having to stretch my muscles. I'm having to work out, lift some heavy weights. I'm feeling tight in my muscles, stretching them. Just because you have to do that doesn't mean that God failed or that you're failing at his design. We have to 
we've got to, this is a place where we've got to realize and be realistic about what the real goal was. Why, what was God's plan all along? And this is why I love the, the Holy Spirit just bringing this awareness of how the Bible tells our story. That we were rescued from Egypt. We were, we were, you know, released from captivity after so many years. We were wandering in the wilderness. He wants to be our God. Then we're like, well, no, just talk to me through somebody else. And he was like, no, I want it right on your heart. I've got a promise land for you. So you can wander around for a few years, but then we're going to get it back together. And you're going to have to enter your promised land. And you're going to have to go and kick out the unlawful inhabitants who are in your promised land. That's flowing with milk and honey. And yes, there are people in your land. There are strongholds that were built in that season, but you have the power to overcome them because I told you I would make you victorious. So that's our story. That's what we're doing. That's the journey we're on. So we've got to get our, our perspective right. The goal isn't to be just like peace where there's there, this perfect calm forever because nothing's happening. It's we're taking territory. We're supposed to be taking territory in our promised land. You know, we have uh, we we shared this, I think, the other day, a couple weeks ago, about the kingdom of God is advancing in me. That's what I was talking about when I heard that. And when I when I shared that, that the kingdom of God is the territory in me. I have a plot of land that belongs to the kingdom of God. But there are parts of it that I haven't maintained dominion over that I've lost to some the, the ground to some ground to the enemy. And so I've got to go and reclaim that land because I need the flag to be planted to say, no, this is God's kingdom, not the enemy's kingdom. And then I do that. And then you do that. And then you do that. And then, you know, we help each other through that process. And the kingdom of God is advancing in me and through me. It's advancing in us. But somehow I'd forgotten that by the time I got to this point, right? I was just like, I'm in a struggle. I must have messed up. Something's wrong. But he clears it all up for us. So he says, not just the high places, but the valleys of well as well. I have not given you the powers you hold so that you can forever avoid the struggles you once knew in the low. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. You are a powerful ruler and landowner. You have a territory to own. You have a domain. Would you really be content to let some other person, some other thing, remain in control of what I gave you? No, I think not. No, I know the fierceness I've placed inside of you. I know the righteous pride that stirs within to see my name proclaimed across the land. You would never be content to surrender your land to another. So, my daughter, my delight, this is why I lead you into the fight. This is why I lead you into a battle. This is why I ask you to face the shadows. You didn't wander in by some fault or dropping of the ball. You didn't end up here because of some misjudgment on your part or mine. I led you here on purpose because I know you have the ability to fight. I know you have the ability to reclaim this land. I know you have the power, the strength, and the right to rule over this plot of land. He said, there will be days like this. 
There will be days like this when the bride-like face a battle. No matter what your design is, your personality, we are in a war for territory. We are advancing the kingdom of God. We aren't up in heaven, you know, seated on a cloud, waiting for, you know, the cherubs to bring us whatever, whatever the people said about that. We're not there. We're advancing the kingdom of God on earth. Papa's goal was to create a kingdom on earth where he can dwell with his people. His goal wasn't just to get us all to heaven. His goal was to transform this place into his kingdom. We've, that's another place where we've just kind of been real complacent about that. And we forget that part. It's not just about this life. It's about building a legacy that the next generation then builds even more on their territory. territory. They advance even more of the kingdom of God and the next generation after that and the next generation after that. And, you know, the enemy thinks like this. The enemy strategizes with long-term game plans. He's been working in our lives for generations. People, I don't even know the family members' names in my generational line who this thing first start got started in, okay? The enemy knew their names long ago. They, he knew my name. He's been working that long. And, and I've just been focused on getting out of here without too many scratches, you know, and trying to, to hide from too much turmoil and to cower from chaos when we're meant to overcome chaos. We're meant to overcome all of that and, and take some ground, right? Yes. So he said, there will be days like this when the bride-like and the battle-ready and the child-like, all of us, okay, the bride-like face a battle. There will be days like this when I lead you to a place long ago surrendered to an enemy. Never forget this was my plan all along to restore you for this, to strengthen you for this purpose to renew your mind, to see with accuracy and clarity, even in the midst of the shadows. There will be days like this. Remember always what they represent. Not failure, not a misstep, but victory. There will be days like this when I lead you to victory in your promised land territory. Wouldn't we do so much better if we remembered that? If we were in the middle of a struggle and we were like, okay, well, the, I must be ready to be victorious over this one plot of land. You know, I must be ready if I'm facing it. I think sometimes there's so much condemnation and then those distorted realities that we get so caught up in, we don't remember what it's really about. We would do so much better to remember there will be days like this. I like to, you know, use my imagination. I was think as I was thinking about this in the last few days, you know, we talked about using your imagination a lot more. The word of the year goes along with with this still, of course. And I I pictured it. I pictured a plot of land like the size of my backyard. And I'm like, that's a literal plot of land I could put a flag in right now. I could take that territory. It may not be everything, but today this is the plot of land and I can see it and I can see where the stronghold is. And God's talent brought me here for a reason, so I must be able to knock it over today. So instead of just laying down in defeat and frustration, I think I'll just go ahead and press a little harder and get through and be victorious. It helps that imagining it really helps, right? It helps. 
So I I've came across a verse that I felt like just really wrapped this part of the word up so well. So I want to read it over you. It's Romans 8, uh, 35 through 39. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Because remember at the beginning, I was like, I'm in a battle. I must be separated from God. If I'm feeling this, I must be disconnected, right? No. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. So that case should be settled in us, right? We may feel it, and it's okay to tell him, I can't feel you. But we need to know in our heart and our mind, I can't really be separated from you. I, I can tell him I need you because I don't feel you. I need your strength. He's really good at us telling him what we need. But we have to know I'm not really separated. Because this whole cascade of things happen when we think we're separated from, from him. I don't know about you, but what I do is I think, well, if he's not here, I'm just going to have to do it myself. So I better just revert back to my old ways because that's all I know how to do. And I'll just lean on my own strength and I'll pick up all the tools I laid down the week before and think, well, somebody's got to do it. And he's not here. You know, it doesn't go well. It would be good to have this truth, this one truth instilled in us to prevent doing that one thing at least, right? So nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love for us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? Nope, for they are all impotent to hinder an omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. Over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love. Has he not demonstrated his love? He does it all the time. Just in this one word, he demonstrated all of these kisses, right? All of these words of love and affection, what he calls me, how he feels about me, reminding me there's so much demonstrated love. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Not some things, everything. There's some absolutes in the word of God. I don't know if you know this. There are some absolutes in the word of God that if we could tie into and see them as absolutes, we would fare a lot better in our journey. Demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with confidence, with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. That's what we need. I live with the confidence that there's nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced, convinced, we need to be convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing, nothing, nothing 
in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love, which we already learned was our glorious victory, right? There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So right here, just, I mean, this is just a few verses, Romans 8, 35 through 39. If I were to take this home, meditate on this, read over this every day, find the absolute truths and in it, press into it, this would transform me. And that's what we need to do. So the next time we face a battle, we, we don't get tripped up at the fact that we think, well, we're disconnected from God. We wouldn't get tripped up there because we would just skip right over that one thing. So many absolute truths. We would know that our victory is actually his love. So we would turn even more quickly to just loving on him and receiving love from him to be victorious in the battle that we're facing. So many, so many good truths from this. Can I have my water, please? So there was another um, nugget in here that I wanted to flush out. Thank you. It's a powerful nugget. And he gave me a dream. I forgot to mention that part. Also, I'm going to share a dream with you. So this part of the, I'm going to go back and read this one part of the word. Where he said, my cherished treasure bought and paid for with a divine price. I tell you, there's no such thing as fraud in such a divine transaction. There's no way to scam the legal system of heaven. Now, I, I, my first, I think the first impact that the way that hit me, of course, was, well, right, you did buy me, so that can't have been canceled out by anybody because it can't have been fraudulent, you know? You can't cancel out, so I really am yours forever. Like, that was the first, <laughs> the first part that needed to be shored up, right? But it really got me thinking, and it started to make, have a deeper and deeper impact. So um, he asked there, do you, do you realize that there's no way to scam the legal system of heaven? So it had to have applied to more than just that, right? You see all sorts of manipulation, scams, and fraudulent attempts to find loopholes and man-made systems, but do you know that none exist in the legal system of heaven? The enemy himself knows that he has to play by my rules. He doesn't attempt to fool me. He only attempts to fool you. He attempts to fool you so that he can use you in my system. So isn't it ironic, right, for the devil? To, he's calling the devil a rule follower in his system. That is mind-blowing. And when it comes to my legal system, he is a rule follower because he's been in my presence and he doesn't for a moment doubt my existence. And I realized, well, I'm guilty right there of doubting his existence. And the enemy's not. The enemy of my soul doesn't doubt for a moment God's existence. He doesn't doubt his sovereignty or his power beyond the shadow of a doubt. But I was just in the shadow of a doubt. Don't mistake his vengeful pursuits for disrespect of my sovereignty. So Papa's telling me that the enemy considers God sovereign. The enemy considers and gives God this reverence that he's not even going to try 
to manipulate God's system. He's going to work within it, trying to manipulate us, but he's going to work within God's system. So some, some alarms are starting to go off, like some, some convicting moments are starting to happen, right? Where, wow, like I can't say that about myself and I can't believe that, that it can be said about Satan and it can't be said for me. That should not be, right? So here's another verse for you, Psalm 148, verse 6, in the Passion Translation. He established the cosmos to last forever, and he stands behind his commands, so his orders will never be revoked. His orders will never be revoked. So again, he bought me with a price that can never be revoked. But this also says that his commands, his order, his tabernacle pattern, his ways, his governmental operating system for the world, he stands behind his commands and they will never be revoked. They're not changing. It doesn't matter how complacent we are. They're not changing. Okay, so I'm going to share my dream with you because after some pondering, I felt like it had to do with the same word, okay? My dream, short version of the dream was that there, I worked in a store and this man and a woman at separate times, they didn't know each other, they, in, they came into the store and they were deceitful, they were fraudulent, and they ended up stealing from the store, each of them different things at different times. They had a, a scam set up where they were able to basically leave the store without paying for what they took. Both of them later on, like a month later or so, returned to the store to try to get even more out of their fraudulent activity. They were just going to squeeze a little bit more out of it, okay? So through a process of system of things that happened, I figured out that the man owed $148 for what he had stolen last time. Both of these people were busted when they came back, okay? They were both busted. They were both found out and discovered. The man owned, owed $148, the value of what he'd stolen before, which he paid in cash on the spot when confronted. He wore a sheriff's badge, which represented he was a man of authority. His repayment of what he owed opened up a flow of benevolence that trickled outward into several different directions. The benevolence even extended to the woman who had also stole, stolen, okay? The one man who stole repaid what he, was, what he had stolen, and benevolence ensued, even extending to the woman who had also stolen, but was now in worse trouble, deeply in debt. She had stolen out of desperation and had no ability to pay what she owed. So in the dream, the money that was taken, the man repaid, the money was taken and given to her, along with some other people. And it just kept, like I saw one after this, kept extending outward to different people. So I was really asking the Holy Spirit about this, and it occurred to me that the woman and the man represented two different aspects within ourselves, or at least two different stages of our journey. At one point, we are unable to pay God what we owe him, right? So we're like the woman. But God is benevolent with us at that stage, and he offers us the free gift of salvation through Jesus having paid our debt, right? So the man paid what he owed, 
And then she was received freely from that because she was unable to pay. But then we enter a different stage of our journey. In this stage, we have now received many things from God, including the ability to walk in authority as his children, represented by the man with the sheriff's badge, right? He's, we now have the authority to walk as his children. When we use that authority without regard or reverence for God's system, we give our authority to another system, right? Thereby giving that system the honor, the benefit, and regard that God actually deserves. In doing so, we are robbing God of what he is due. At that stage, we're the man operating with authority, got the sheriff's badge on, and we, but we're still stealing, okay? So I think this, this represented two different stages of our journey. Because in our ignorance and misguided ways, we have robbed God of the honor and reverence he is to do. We have stolen from him using the gifts he gave us to benefit us in another system. We do this in part out of desperation, out of need, not having known his way. But there comes a time when we know we have received from him. When we know we are the benefactors of his mercy poured out on us but we continue to operate in that other system. We operate with the power and authority he gave us, but in the world system or the religious system. Perhaps it looked like just being raised up out of smallness and insecurity into being a competent person, but we took that confidence and we took it into our career path and we used our confidence to try to climb the corporate ladder or to do more on social media and get more likes on social media. Or perhaps it was just that, that after receiving, this was, this was my story here, after receiving that first touch of Jesus' love when I first got saved, he restored me, he refilled me, so I, but I had no discipleship, I had no training, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with that. So I was just like, all those other things I was scared to do and too shy to do before, I went and did them with my newfound confidence, with what Jesus' love had, did, had done for me. I took that. And I was like, okay, now I can go do all this worldly stuff I know about that's not godly at all, but I'm, and now I'm, I'm rebuilt. So I'm going to take that new strength and that authority and that confidence and this identity he's given me, and I'm going to go do that instead. That is one of the biggest problems with not having houses like ours where we're willing to train and disciple people to know what to do with their salvation. So, of course, uh, you know, again, we know God has grace and mercy for what we know and, and at any given point in time. But as I said, there comes a time when we know. And if you're in this house, we know because we talk about it a lot about what God's done for us. And we receive so much from him. And yet we just keep making choices, mostly out of complacency, because we're just okay with continuing to operate in this other system instead of using our authority in his. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you can't work in the world or you can't, you know, have a business or, or be influential at your, your place of work. It's your position of your heart that is what we're talking about. You know, are you doing it with him? Are you doing it for him in, in your endeavors out into the world? I mean, we, we love the whole message of the seven mountains that we are meant as a church to go out 
and conquer the seven mountains, to lead on the seven mountains. So this is not saying that we're not supposed to do that. Okay. So perhaps this dream is a message of order being restored within us which is necessary for his flow to resume in us. We're talking about wanting to be a part of this creative flow, of his flow of his glory, of the flow of the, um, the out to other people to, to bring them in to be saved, to evangelize, to bring new people into the house. We're so excited about that. But what if the flow of all of those, the flow in all of those areas is dependent on us getting this in order? Those places where we are taking our, God-given authority and identity, but we're still robbing him of what's due. We're still taking something from the store without paying for it. We're, we're still disrespecting God and giving the reverence to a system that we, we claim we wanted to kill off, that we don't want to be operational in us anymore. And so I, I, I feel like when we confront incorrect because that's what happened with the man in the dream right he was confronted I said I know who you are and I know what you owe and I know I know what you did and I know what you owe and so what he when he was confronted he just corrected it he didn't like it but he threw the money down and and that was that right so we when we confront and correct the places within us where we're using our authority as a son or daughter of God in a way that is robbing God of his reverence we restore the benevolent flow of his powerful love to our own places of need, and then through us to other people. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit said that, just for more emphasis, that the $148 was significant. Okay, the number, 148 So I've been reading in John lately, and so I opened up my, my Bible, and it was already in John. And I was like, oh, 14-8. It was on John 14. Okay, my Bible was opened up to John 14. So I was like, well, I'll check out John 14-8. And so in the Passion Translation, it says, Philip spoke up and said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be all we need. Right? Show us the Father, and that will be all we need. Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you still don't know who I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Now, it goes on from there, but what this verse reminded me of is that place where we we're sit here, we receive all of this from him, and we still wait for him to do something new to bring us into, to correct our, our circumstances, right? Yeah. We still think, well, I'm waiting for God to do a new thing to, to rescue me from this trouble that I'm in or res rescue me from this depression or this insecurity or this smallness, whatever it is, right? We're waiting for him to do a new thing when he's already done it. And that's what Jesus is like, Philip, I've been with you all this time. Do you still not know who I am? Don't ask for me to show you the Father when you've been looking at the Father, talking to the Father, interacting with the Father this whole time. And so that's us. We're the ones who need to adjust to his ways, right? He already made the way. He already revealed the way to us through Jesus. So I thought I'd go and look up Proverbs 14, 8 also, 148, right? It says, for the wisdom of the wise will keep life on the right track, while the fool only deceives himself and refuses to face reality. Wow. Verse 9, immediately after that, says, fools mock 
the need for repentance while the favor of God rests upon all of his lovers. In other words, words, fools mock the need to repent while all the favor that they actually need are resting on his lovers. And so to me, this dream is, is building us up to a place of repentance and that complacency that goes on in all of our lives. None of us are free from any guilt in this area, okay? That complacency puts us in this position where we think we don't need to repent for this. We think it's okay because, you know, really we're doing better than the previous generation or we're doing better than our neighbors or I do, I'm doing 90% of the God life. So it's okay. I mean, you know, fools mock the need for repentance. And uh, this commentary I read in the believers Bible says that for a prudent man, wisdom means knowing how to behave honestly, conscientiously, and obediently. What a fool considers to be wisdom is actually folly, and the essence of that folly is deceiving others, which eventually results in self-inflicted deceit. That's when we're going through life doing the same thing we did the year before because we were complacent last year, and so we're just complacent this year, and we think we're doing good. He's saying, let's wake up. I'm trying to refine you in this season. Uh, There's refining going on. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's going on right now. There's a place of refinement for all of us in this moment right now. So we won't be the fools. Let's not be the fools who mock the need for repentance. There is a need for repentance. Now, I decided I'd look in the Dream Dictionary also of the numbers 1, 4, and 8. Number 1, of course, is God, which, of course, to me, do we have God first? Pam, I'd like you to model your T-shirt. She's wearing the God first shirt today. Mm -hmm. Do we have God in that first place position, or are we still allowing some of those other systems to operate in that one place? Number 4 is God's creative works, okay? 148. So God's creative works. Number eight is new beginnings. I feel like the message is that there is a new beginning, new flow of creativity when we repent and set things in the proper order with God in number one. 148. When we repay, okay, 148. When we repay what was stolen from him, we correct those places where we're saying that my my, the pressures of life and the pressures of just how I've always done it and the social pressures and all of the different things, they trump what you said, God. They trump what the pattern that you set out. And everybody will be okay with me if I just keep doing it that old way. Everybody will be okay if I don't actually allow you to refine me in this way. That, that is what needs to be corrected. That needs to be, we need to repay. We are stealing from him when we operate like that. So just to make this a little more relatable, um, I wanted to just briefly touch on a few things. What is God's legal system, that governmental operating system? That's what I was said I was referring to, right? And what are some of the ways we disregard it? Because we're not, you know, we're not robbing banks in here, I don't think. You know, we're not doing all the big sins, right? Probably. But what are some ways that we're doing this where this is literally what we're doing, robbing from God? Well, the legal system, the 
governmental operating system of the earth that God set in place is the law of seed planting and harvest. Okay. We've talked about this several times and there's, there's lots of stuff that you could go back and listen to about how this was the system that was in the garden of Eden put into place that, and then we talked about it in the word of the year, even how God flooded the earth. Remember? And I heard the Holy spirit say in that scripture, he flooded the earth, but then he made a promise. I'll never do it again. I'll never flood the earth again. And then the, the very next thing he says, was, and I don't have it here in front of me, but that basically I can promise you that, that there will always be the system of law of seed planting and harvest. And it, I remember thinking this is a word for us to realize we have got to take that seriously. And so of course we talk about our words, are seeds, and we create with our words, right? But how many of us are still reckless with our words? And we remember that only when we're in our sweet spot. I'm guilty of it. Because when I'm in that struggle bus place and I forgot, I've forgotten that God can't actually be away from me and I've reverted back to my own ways, well, then I'm not thinking about the law of seed and planting and harvest. And I'm saying stuff that I think needs to be said in my old way. Because it's going to make me feel better or fuel me along in my process, right? I'm guilty of that. I'm reckless with my words. I remember the system of seed and planting and harvest when I'm in my sweet spot. But when I'm not in my sweet spot, I'm, I'm giving him, my, I'm giving honor to a dead worldly system. Our imaginations in the word of the year we talked about, right? We talked about our imaginations, what we think on, what we imagine will happen. And, it, and we learned that imagination was also the intentions of our heart, our character, right? When, that we create with our imagination. We talked about that in the word of the year. But how many of us still allow our imaginations to run away based on fears, building temples for fear with our, with our creative imaginations rather than God's temple, which is what we have a creative imagination and the power to create for? Of course, God's governmental operating system is basically everything Jesus taught, okay? It's truth in the word of God. Like I said, there's absolute truths in the word of God that he says, and we just allow ourselves to be fairly complacent about it. We remember it 50% of the time, but then under certain pressures or situations, we think, yeah, you know, that's just a, it's not an absolute truth. It's just a mostly true truth. I think we're all sort of guilty of that. Matthew 28 says that then Jesus came close to them and said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. Faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Again, I've already mentioned it. Sometimes we forget that he's actually with us. And in our fear, we turn back to our old ways, our own ways of doing things. Man has been given authority over the enemy. We have the power. He doesn't. This is all some of the basics of his governmental operating system. But we give him our power. We give the enemy our power when we partner with fear. These are all ways that we are 
giving reverence to a worldly system, to the enemy's system, right? Well, we are assuming that God's system will adjust for our needs and our actions. We are also meant to be led by the impulses of the spirit, not our flesh. But how many of time, how many of the, how much of the time do we allow our flesh to call the shots over and over again? These are just some examples I wanted to share to say that this is the level I'm talking about. I'm not talking on a big scale. I'm talking about these little ways that we make allowances for ourselves to operate in. So I'm going to wrap it up with this um, word of correction that I wrote in response to this part of the passage. I've already read it twice now, but where he says, there's no way to scam the legal system of heaven. There's no such thing as fraud. None exists in the legal system of heaven. The enemy himself knows that he has to play by my rules. He doesn't even attempt to fool me. The enemy does not even attempt to fool God. He only attempts to fool you so that he can use you in my system, a rule follower, right? He's been in my presence, and he doesn't for a moment doubt my existence. He knows my sovereignty, my power beyond the shadow of a doubt. Don't mistake his vengeful pursuits for disrespect of my sovereignty. I wrote, I see a weakness in our humanity. I can see that it's true that the enemy has more confidence in the steadfastness of God's operating system, of his governmental operating system, than we do. He is more convinced of God's sovereignty than we are. We see the rules or laws of nature, the nature God made, the legal system he put in place on this earth as watery, as flexible, as wishy-washy. We would never admit it, but it's true. Our view of God's legal system is more like a theory we entertain and only when we press in to view it more specifically. But are we living it? Are we living our moments aware of this legal system? Or are we more aware of and more respectful of the world's legal system? Do we have the respect for God's operating system that we should? I think not. We see it all through a veil, one that was already torn, I should point out. We know the way was made for us to see it clear as day, but we position ourselves day after day to view our lives and the world around us in a veiled way. We don't have clarity. We don't have confidence in God's system. We have hope for it. We practice our faith in it, we don't, but we don't live from a confidence in it. We try to adopt new revelations in our walk. We pat ourselves on the back for the ability to even see the new revelation. And then we pat even more if we step out and try it. We live from the high that comes with new revelation as it hits our minds, minds and stirs our heart. We call it good and cutting edge, and we're content to live on just that experience. But are we living it? Are we switching our law abiding to the real system that God created instead of the worlds we grew up in, instead of the one falsely portrayed by religion? Our enemy 
has more respect for God's laws than we do. Are we okay with that? Are we okay to allow that to continue? Our enemy doesn't waste time attempting a loophole in God's plan. Our enemy doesn't waste time crossing his fingers on a strategy that contradicts heaven's legal system. We do. Our enemy doesn't exclude God's system from his strategies, but we do. Our enemy devotes every ounce of his efforts to working his plan within God's legal system. Do we? No. We entertain the lies of our time. We operate with mixtures of beliefs and contradicting operating systems. We plan around people-pleasing, cultural designs, and ways of life. We say there must be a way to live in both worlds, to satisfy the system we were born into while furthering the kingdom of God. We assume, assume that God's legal system will adjust because of our good intentions and feeble minds. How dare we? How dare we allow our enemy to allow Satan to revere God more than we do? How dare we call ourselves good when we allow the enemy to operate with a higher standard than us in God's legal system? Win or lose, I would rather be found fighting a pure battle than compromising with such dishonor. It's time we rid ourselves of the mixture. It's time we recognize it for what it is. It's time we call it the dishonor it really is. It's time we own the brainwashing we've been under that said it was good enough to claim God as our father and then require of ourselves nothing further. James 1.22, but prove yourselves doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, and not merely listeners who hear the word, but fail to internalize its meaning, deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. He has a pattern for his temple, and he has a prescribed way. We cannot remain complacent in realigning ourselves with his way if we want to see his glory flow. Good. Papa, I just thank you for your truth tonight. And I thank you that you love us so much to give us words of life. Let's just let's just really press in a minute to just ask him. You know, I was I have a million things I could say to everything she said tonight, but this one thing that happened today made me think about this moment and um, we have a customer who just had open heart surgery and while he was in surgery his artery was so 
um, caked up, if you will, that particles of it flowed to his brain, and he had like six or seven strokes during the surgery. And it, and the Holy Spirit is just reminding me of that picture that it's years and years of misuse of his body and and not taking care of himself and not eating anything good and and not doing anything for himself in a physical way that caused while they were trying to make one repair caused a bunch of other injuries and um it was a miracle even that he woke up they said but i think that that's what has happened is that we've focused our attention on comfort and it's true you know we wanted to experience the love of god but he did intend for us to take this territory and so we want to show god the honor that he's due with our whole life with everything about us it is a privilege what price was paid for us and so i just want to help you you know i'm not much in just an altar call because I believe that we should take these words that are revelatory and we should marinate with them and we should spend time seeking out a matter. I I chose just as a mission that I would raise up kings that would go home and search out a matter instead of just having an altar call. But this is a true moment of repentance of just saying how grateful that we are to be able to put language to how that that our belief was actually robbing us of all the benefits of of his fatherhood and so i'm just thankful tonight that that cc can take the time to develop this language of heaven and i really encourage you not to forget to reread what she wrote and re-listen to it because we want that to be ever convicting us. Remember, that's how he fathers us. He fathers us by an ever convicting source of coming up higher. And his promise over us is that when we repent, that he will, we, that which means I just changed my mind. I turn away from that way of thinking and I turn to a new way of thinking. So, Papa, we just position our hearts right now. And I just pray that Holy Spirit, even right now in the room and even in our dreams and in our way of life tomorrow, you would show us these places that need to be changed, that need to be challenged by ourselves, that we need to challenge ourselves. Remember, this season began with with him telling us that orphans can't pretend to be kings anymore. And that's when this season that we're in right now started. And and he also told us a lot of things over the last few weeks that we cannot allow ourselves permission to be small. We cannot allow ourselves permission to act as if he hasn't done something for us. And so, Papa, we just do. We just rend our hearts before you right now. And we just thank you for how much you love us. And I ask that you would just show us places that we have become so habitual in old patterns of thinking and living that stuff is passing right before us every day and we just live with it. We condone it. We don't speak to it. We don't set boundaries with it. 
we blame you for it. We act like that you haven't done enough, and we say we're sorry for that. And we say that we want you to show us this new way. We want you to show us how we specifically can adopt a lifestyle of flow with you, how you flow through us. You you not only bless us, but you convict us. You not only provide for us, but you actually make a way for us to live out, uh, within this system that you made. And this is the system you made this world in. And so we say tonight that we adopt our hearts to that. We just adopt our hearts to that right now. And we just thank you for showing us. Thank you for showing us. I really challenge you to, to get with your mentor and really pursue more about just the places in our hearts where we're complacent. You know, I don't, I want the more of God. And I have figured out long ago that what keep, kept me from the more was that when he would show me a little thing, I would just override him. And he'd show me another little thing, and i just override him. He used to talk to me a lot about driving. And I would speed here or there because, you know, I would just make my plans too late. I would book myself too tight. And he just began to say, you know, how do you feel about breaking the law? And that would just, I mean, he would just do that over and over in all the little ways. Just if I go to the store and I don't put something back because I want somebody else to walk the store. He just kept showing, he was showing that over and over and over. And then it began, he began to show me that with people how I would neglect my relationships, how I would be selfish. I didn't even know it. So he constantly is trying to change our systems and he has to do it through everyday life. And so that's what season we're in just as a tribe and always remember God is preparing us for something else. So it's not about feeling bad right now. It's a preparation for something that's coming that you can't see yet. And so if you would rend your heart and you would repent and you would make it a lifestyle of that, then when the next season shifts, you will say, I'm prepared. That those messages prepared me to be this and that those messages prepared me to be that. If you just listened to it tonight, you got tired and you checked out and you went on a couple journeys while you're sitting here and you didn't let it convict you, then it's not going to have the full impact that God intended. So... Papa, I just want to bless Cece tonight. Papa, I just thank you. Thank you for her journey that I enjoy watching so much. And I just thank you, and I just anoint her afresh and new today to walk in this place of rest with you, of childlike trust with you. And I just thank you that she endures through no matter how she feels and she presses in. Thank you for teaching her to do that. So, Papa, I just pray, pray protection over her. I just pray that same anointing that has set her free would also do the same in other people that listen to it and receive it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.